we thank you that we can come together and hear from you. These seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches, every one of them applies to us. And so as we read this letter to Philadelphia, Lord, we pray that you would show us how we're like Philadelphia and how we're not like Philadelphia. And show us how we can be in the center of your grace, in the center of your will, and that we can live as you desire, pleasing to you, and uh, that we would be effective for your purposes here in this world, in the moment that we're living in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our study through the book of Revelation with the sixth church. This is the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was located on a major highway. It was an agricultural and industrial city, and it was very prosperous. Philadelphia means love for the brethren. That's how we... To have the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Doesn't look like that anymore, does it? You know, but one of the purposes for founding Philadelphia was to spread the Greek culture to the surrounding world. They wanted to show everyone around there what the Greek culture was about, and uh, the city had many ritualistic temples, and and they had lots of ceremonies there for the different uh, religious um, gods. It was considered to be little Athens, so they had many celebrations to the various Greek gods that they worshipped. And this was another city that was affected by the AD 17 earthquake that took out quite a few of the cities around there. And this was also impacted. They lived 20 years with aftershocks from those earthquakes. And that's, um, you know, to have to deal with that on a regular basis. Living in California, I lived there for many years. We had earthquakes every once in a while. And a a few weeks after the earthquake was done, you don't worry about it, you didn't think about it, and and you just went on with life, you know. But um, they had lots and lots and lots of aftershocks uh, during that time. And so they... um, they didn't have, uh, fortunately, California has all of these codes to make sure that earthquakes um, are, are under control, the buildings are well protected, so on and so forth. They didn't have those building codes. If they only had a governor, like, n- never mind. Anyway, <laughs> they, they um, didn't have, uh, the, isn't it interesting when you see... Um, destruction that was from earthquakes and uh, you can go to Bet Shane they have uh, this whole city that they unearthed 
the columns are still standing up. Now, some of them they re-erected after the earthquake, but a lot of them were all fallen over in one direction, and it showed you that that was an earthquake there that did the damage and knocked everything. But a lot of the columns were still standing uh, without falling from uh, the earthquake. So uh, that's kind of interesting to see how earthquakes have uh, an impact on that type of architecture and structures um, that were built in that time. But when they had an earthquake, they all ran out of the city because there were stones flying everywhere and they uh, didn't want to get crushed. We continue our study through Revelation with chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 where we read, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And so here, Jesus is once again identifying himself as God. These terms that he, he is using, only God is holy. And only God is true. It's not that God has the truth. God is the truth. There is no falseness in him. And so that makes all the difference in the world. Anything that God tells us, anything that Jesus tells us is true. And so that should be comforting to us because we know when Jesus says something and makes a promise to us, we can believe it. It's true. It's going to happen. He's going to fulfill whatever it is that he says he's going to fulfill. And I'm happy about that. Sometimes I'm not because he says things that just make me convicted. Uh, and make me realize I'm not living the way I should all the time. You know, the moments that I do, I really feel good about it. I'm like, oh, look, I had a good day. Okay, I never say that. I had a good hour. <laughs> you know, uh, it was a good half hour. Man, that was the greatest minute. So, <laughs> humans... We can be true occasionally, but we don't embody truth in that we're true all the time. And we're never holy all the time. The only holiness we have is the holiness that comes from God. That's when people think that, oh, Man, that person, that person lives such a good life. They're such a nice person. They're so righteous. They're so, uh, you know, such a holy person. Um, if they say, yeah, you're right, uh, that just ruined it. That just disqualified them. But the reality is, in front of other people, we can live one way. But we know in our heart of hearts what goes on in our heart, in our mind, and that's not holiness all the time. Once in a while there is. And then as soon as we think that we're doing good, then we blew it. Jesus wants the church at Philadelphia, and he wants us to know 
that he can and will follow through and fulfill everything that God has made a promise and Jesus made a promise to us. He wants us to know it's all going to happen. It's all going to be fulfilled. And so once we get to that point of knowing that, we have a different view of life. We have a, a different perspective of what's important in life. Quite often we get caught up in what we think is important in life. Uh, Plans that we have. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to go see this. You know, and and that's, there's nothing wrong with those things. But do we recognize that God may have a different plan? He may have different things that he wants to bless us with, but we don't recognize them as blessings before we actually experience them. And so sometimes we go through things thinking, why? Why am I going through this? Well, because God wants to use that to bless us. He wants to use something in our lives uh, to make us recognize how close we are with him. I mean, if you woke up in the morning and you looked in the mirror and while you're looking in the mirror, you see Jesus standing behind you, wouldn't that be cool? You'd turn around. What's going on? You know, that would be so cool to see Jesus right there and it would be frightening at the same time, right? Here's the thing. You don't see him in the mirror, but he's there. And, and to me, I have to consider that. And never, not that in, in a weird way, in a creepy way, oh, Jesus is watching me. I, you know, I, I, it's not like that. It's like I want him to be watching. I want him to be there because when I get in trouble, I want him to bail me out. You know, and, and I get in trouble all the time, so... He has plenty of opportunity to do that. How often have you tried to accomplish something only to be frustrated because it didn't work out the way that you expected it to? We, we don't go into situations wanting it to fail, wanting to struggle, wanting to mess. We don't go into situations that way. We go into situations thinking of how great this is going to be. Oh, the end result is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see the end result. And then we find out it doesn't work out. When Jesus opens the door for something, that doesn't always mean it's going to be successful. Quite often we assume that. We assume, well, Jesus opened this door. I know that he opened this door and I'm going through it. Why is it failing? I'll tell you why. As soon as you go through the door, and then you say, okay, Lord, I got it from here. I know what you want me to do. I'm going to go and do it. And that's really the problem, is that we try to then take over once we go through the door. Once we step, hey, we're being faithful. We went through the door, but then we forget to ask him, okay, what do you want me to do next? 
I'm going through the door. What do you... Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us free will to make decisions on our own. Of course we have free will. You know, he, you know, if I'm buying a car, do I buy this car or that car? Well, are they in the budget? Both of them are. Okay, then buy the car you like. You know, but if it's like, okay, a Ford Focus or a Lamborghini, which one is more practical? Well, of course it's a Lamborghini. It's a higher resale value. Uh, but, you know, the reality is we get to make choices on our own. Sometimes we live with the consequences of the choices that we make. But when God opens the door and brings us into a situation, he brings us into this new environment, we are best to contact him and say, okay, Lord, now what do you want me to do as I walk through this door? What's next? Because I see what I have here through this door, but now what do you want me to do with it? Where, where do you want me to go with that? And Moses had the problem of having an open door and then messing up. In Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel were traveling and they needed water. And God told Moses, take your staff, strike the rock, and water will come from the rock. And Moses was like, cool. Went, and water came out of the rock. And it was like, oh, all is good. We're providing Water to the million people traveling through the wilderness just from tapping the rock. Exodus chapter 20. Children of Israel grumbling. They want water. They need to feed their, their animals and, and drink water themselves. They need to take a bath. And God was going to provide water. He said, okay, Moses, go speak to the rock. Here's the open door. Speak to the rock. And Moses goes to the rock and he says, Oh, you want water, do you? And he takes his staff and he smacks the rock and water comes out for all of them to drink. But they thought that God was mad at them. But God wasn't mad at them. You see, the rock represents Jesus, the Messiah, the rock of our salvation. And the rock only had to be struck one time. He was struck when he was crucified. But after that, we just have to speak to him. And he provides what we need just by speaking to him. We don't have to go and hit the rock. We don't have to have him re-crucified. But we can speak and he will provide. That was the example that God wanted to set. Except Moses took things in his own hands and did things a little differently by smacking the rock. So what happened to Moses? He got put in time out. You see, he didn't get to fulfill 
what God wanted him to fulfill. He was supposed to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But he didn't get to do that because he misrepresented God. Now, he didn't lose his salvation. God didn't disqualify him from heaven. But he had to suffer the consequences of his actions because what he did wasn't right. And that happens to us in our walk with the Lord. When we take things into our own hands and we do things our way, sometimes we have to suffer the consequences. We don't lose our salvation, but we have to suffer the consequences of our actions. He opens the door and no one can shut that door except him. But it's good news for us that he opens it and he's telling us, I opened it. That doesn't mean do things your way. I opened the door. Now continue to look to me for the answers of what you're supposed to do next. He wants us to implement his plan, not our own. Now for some good news. Uh, Verse 8, I know your works. You know, if Jesus said that to me, I'm looking in the mirror, he's there behind me. Hey, Rick, I know your works. Ouch! I, I hope you weren't looking yesterday when I was driving. You know, I... It's, I know your works. But he said that to every one of them. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And so here is the church of Philadelphia. They have a little strength, meaning they're a little church. They don't have this huge church and they're not... Um, just doing massive things out there. They're a little church, but they didn't deny his name. They're focused on Jesus. They're focused on the truth. They're walking with him. They're trusting him for everything. Even though no man can shut the door that Jesus opened, uh, that doesn't mean the enemy won't try to distract the believer, from going through the door. You see, we see the open door, and then we go to it, and as we're on our way, all of a sudden there's shiny things over here, and, and oh, stuff over here that distract us, that grab our attention, and the next thing you know, we're not looking at the door. We need to continue to keep our eyes on the destination so that we get to where we're going. The enemy can't stop us from going through the door. He has no power to stop us. But he has power to distract us, to get us going in a different direction. The good news is that the door will be there. We just may have to take a circuitous route to get there. You know, it's like our GPS, redirecting, recalibrating. Okay, you know, I, I was visiting New York one time and we were supposed to be um, going to, I, I don't remember where we were going, but I just remember I set, set it in a GPS and I'm driving 
I went through the Lincoln Tunnel three times trying to get to where we were going. The Lincoln Tunnel is $17. And, and so the next thing you know, I'm in traffic and the Lincoln Tunnel, and, and there's no way to turn off. And we're going through the Lincoln Tunnel again. Now, I was born and raised in New York, okay? I just never went through the Lincoln Tunnel before. And so, uh, so Cheryl was really enjoying this. And, um, and so the third time, I went up to the booth, and I was like, you know what? Um, we don't know what we're doing. This is our third time through. She said, okay, you don't have to pay, but here's what you want to do. And she gave us the directions. Not that I took them, but she gave us the directions how to figure out where we were trying to go. And fortunately, eventually we got there, obviously. And, um, and we made it through. But the problem was I was doing things my way. You know, I was trusting in something. This is GPS. GPS never gets it wrong, right? Cheryl was there telling me, I told you you should have taken that turn. Well, what would you know? You didn't grow up here. I did. That's why I'm using the GPS. They didn't have GPS when I lived in New York. So, you know, there are times where we do what we want to do, even though God has opened the door, and the enemy distracts us, and we follow that way instead of following his way. It's time we step up, go through the door, and follow the instructions of the Savior. Amen? So when we're faithful in a little, we're trusted with more. When we're faithful going through the door, then we're trusted with finding out what the rest of the plan is. Oh, it may not come all at once. Okay, here's why you came through the door. That may not happen. And just because we go through doesn't mean all of a sudden it's peaceful meadows and you know springs to drink out of. Sometimes it's not the greatest place to be, but God brings us through those things to learn, to trust him as we go through them. It could be financial problems, it could be medical problems, it could be family problems. Whatever the trial is, God will use that trial to get us to where he wants us to be. Or he will teach us through the trial to get us what he wants us to know at the other end of the trial. The whole time we're here on earth, we're learning. We're growing in our walk with God. We're trusting him. And so when we get to heaven, when we get to stand before him, we're going to have all of this perfection in front of the throne. Well, that's not true. We're not going to be perfect. We'll be perfect then because he's going to make us perfect. But we're going to get there with a lot more faith and confidence in him. There are many people that are living religious lives here on earth, basing their relationship with God off of what they do for him. Our relationship with God is not based off of what we do for him. It's based off of what he has done for us.
We don't have to go around beating on rocks. We just have to speak to the rock. And then we find what we're looking for. We get answers to what questions that we've presented before him. So here's the church that has a little strength. And although they have a little strength, they were strong in faith. It doesn't matter what size a church is. They can have a great impact on the world around them because they have the truth. The world doesn't. The world is looking for truth. Instead, they watch CNN. And they're looking for truth on MSNBC, even on Fox News. They're looking for truth. And none of those stations will be able to provide the truth. I've heard announcers sometimes, I've heard some of the anchors on those present. I heard Pete Hegeth one time, he was filling in for Jesse Waters, and he presented the gospel. Five minutes he spent presenting the gospel on it, and it was wonderful. It was so true, everything he presented. And I said, oh, that's awesome. Why can't all of them do this? Well, because that's not interesting. That's not what keeps people watching. You know, the people that really need to hear it will probably turn it out, turn it off or tune it out or whatever. And it's unfortunate. But when the gospel speaks to our heart, we know it and we believe it and we want more of it. God can use us to do that to reach the people around us. All we have to do is speak the truth. Verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews, but are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so there were these Jews that were persecuting them. They were not friendly toward the church. This is not all Jews. He's talking about these Jews. And he said, they are not Jews. So these so-called Jews were really not truly Jews. And they were lying, and they were harassing the church. And Jesus said, eventually I'm going to make them, they're going to worship at the feet of these, the church of Philadelphia. He's not saying that they're going to worship the church. They're going to worship at the feet. What does that mean? Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's going to be a day where we're going to be praising the Lord, standing, praising the Lord, and there will be those on their knees at the feet of those praising the Lord because they didn't praise him on earth. And they're going to be on their knees praising him and worshiping him after. And they're not going to be worshiping the church. They're going to be worshiping the Lord. 
And, and so we get to do that here and now. Isn't that cool? When we're singing the songs that we sing during our time of worship, we're not singing it to test out our vocal abilities. I can't keep up with Chris Tomlin. I have a very hard time singing a lot of these songs. He, he, he has a great pitch, you know, and he, he can do amazing things, with, but it's not about the voice. It's about the object of our affection, our attention. He is the object. He is the audience that we're singing to. And so when we sing, it's not about the people next to us can hear our great voice. And, and it's not about that. It's about the fact that he hears us and he hears not only our voice, but our heart. And we're worshiping. We're, we're singing to him so he can know that we're in love with him. You know, I'm, I'm excited for the time where I'll get to do that face to face, where I'll get to sing. And my voice may not improve but he's not going to throw tomatoes at me for singing to him. You know, he's, he's going to welcome it. So Jesus isn't speaking to all Jews as the synagogue of Satan. He's speaking to these particular Jews. Now, the church was being harassed, but they weren't giving in. They were persevering. And that's something that's a good message for each one of us. Because as the world grows darker... As we become, the world becomes um, more hardened in their love. That's what the sign of the last days are, right? Hardened hearts, love has grown cold. And we're seeing that in the world today. The church is supposed to be the exception. Let me say that again. The church is supposed to be the exception. Our love shouldn't be growing cold. It should be getting stronger in our love for each other. Oh, we don't have to like each other. We have to love each other. And, and that's harder to do sometimes. But as the world grows colder, they're going to see that we love each other. They will know that you're Christians by the love that you have for one another. And when they see that, they're going to be drawn to that. I miss that. You know, people say, oh, I miss the 50s, how we had, you know, all the cool cars and the music and everything was cool back in the 50s and stuff like that. And while a lot of that is true, it wasn't so much that. It was the morality that we had. Oh, there was still sin in the six, uh, 50s and 60s. There, there was lots of it. But that wasn't the focus. Our focus was on doing good things and right things because we were raised that way. We were taught, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Don't do that. Don't do the wrong, do the right. And, and so I look at the generation now growing up and it's like, well, you have to let them grow up and, and, you know, be what they want to be and become what they... And how's that worked? It hasn't. 
You know, and, and it's the same thing that happened. This isn't something new. This has happened for thousands of years. When people are given the freedom to make a choice on their own, they always do stupid things. Even the nation of Israel, who started doing things to please themselves instead of doing things to please God. And we're called to please God. We're called to live lives that are pleasing to him. And when we do, he blesses us. And we can see that that's having a major impact in how the world, the direction the world is going today. These Jews were the synagogue of Satan. They were trying to shut down the truth. They didn't want to hear the good news. They wanted to control things. They wanted to live by rules and regulations, legalism, the law. They wanted to, and they wanted to be in charge of it. And we see a lot of religions that are like that today. We also see a lot of religious organizations who say, oh, whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. And that doesn't work either. We have to have some guidelines, and that's why God gave us the Bible. So we know what the guidelines are. We know how we can walk with him, how we can experience God, how we can have a relationship with him, and how we can be blessed amidst the trials that we go through. The trials that we go through are not different than the trials that the world goes through. They're the same. Same kind of trials that they go through, except they have no hope going through to them. Their hope is in a doctor or a medical procedure or medicine or so on and so forth. That's where their hope is. Our hope is in God. Because we know medicine does work sometimes. And when you take it, it can help you get through a medical you know, condition. But we know God is much more powerful than medicine and that he's able to heal to the utmost. He's able to do what medicine can't do, what a doctor can't do. He may use a doctor to get your attention, and or to heal you. He may use a doctor to do that. But we need to stay focused on him doing this work, trusting him to be the, the author of our condition, going forward. I trust him uh, to do these things. And the synagogue of Satan, the Jews, they weren't doing that. They had their legalism. They had their rules. In verse 10, it says, because you have kept my command to persevere. So when we persevere through the trials, through the conditions, through the struggles that we go through, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. There are trials and struggles going on throughout the world. There are different conflicts that are happening in different areas of the world. We have Israel, then we have Hezbollah uh, up in the north. We have Hamas in Gaza, in, in the West Bank, and then we have Yemen. And huh, how many of you have vacationed in Yemen? 
Okay, see, and so here they are in Yemen, and they want a voice too. They want to launch rockets. They want to, you know, the world to see who they are. And, and any little nation can just start firing rockets to get people to... But these are incidents that are happening in a very small area. That's not what this is saying. Jesus is saying, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That means everyone. The whole world. Have we ever had a conflict like that before? We say World War I, World War II. Sorry, that didn't affect the whole world. It didn't affect every single person on earth. But Jesus is talking about that kind of conflict that's going to impact every human being on earth. And that's why this is referring to the rapture of the church. This is referring to the fact that we aren't going to go through that trial. You see, the trials that we go through aren't because God is forcing us. Even with Job, God didn't force Job to go through a trial. He just took the protection off of Job and allowed the enemy to have his way. Well, God is going to do that, but God is also going to cause things to happen on the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. He's going to cause bad things to happen to get people's attention, to wake them up, to make them recognize there is a God. And they're still going to deny him. They're still going to, and many will believe. So when Jesus does this, um, we're not going to be here. And that's just another indication that Jesus is trying, he's said this many different ways, many different times. We just have to recognize that that's what he's saying to us. Because if we're still here, tribulation isn't happening. Some people think, oh, we're going, we're in the tribulation right now. Well, no, the Thessalonians thought that 2,000 years ago, right? And, and Paul said, no, you didn't miss it. You know, you'll know when it happens, you know, because there's going to be a bunch of people missing. Verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Well, that ties right into what we just read. We look at quickly as in, oh, well, 2,000 years ago he wrote this. You know, we're, we're, he's coming quickly. Well, that's not right. It's been 2,000 years. No, quickly is in the twinkling of an eye. Quickly is we're here and then we're not. That's quickly. And he's coming quickly. So really that ties into the rapture. He's coming quickly so that we won't have to go through what is going to happen during that time. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. This is the reason why we shouldn't have tattoos because we're going to get all this writing on it. If you have tattoos, he doesn't know where to write. I'm kidding. We're going to have new bodies anyway, right? And so, you know, we're going to have fresh baby skin. And, uh, you know, then he'll have all this room to write on. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus is returning quickly. But we're not going to lose our crown. A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, we, we have the opportunity to lose our crown see hold fast that what you have that no one may take your crown this is not the crown of salvation there's going to be many crowns that were going to be awarded and this isn't the crown of salvation that he's talking about here Uh, this is the crown of what we have done and we're rewarded for but if we stop persevering and if we allow the world to impact our lives more than God then we don't get the reward someone else will get it someone else will get the reward for doing what God has called us to do that we didn't do they did it they get the crown and maybe their crown is bigger because we didn't okay you're going to get a bigger crown And so it's up to us to lose our crown. It's also up to us to get our crown. Persevering is the key that when we go through this, if we overcome, we become a pillar in the temple of my God. And so the pillars in the temple hold the temple up, right? And hold the roof to the temple up and do you think for one moment that the temple of God in the new Jerusalem is going to fall down never will it's going to stand there forever and being a pillar in the temple of God means we're going to be there forever we're going to be present with God forever I I just can't think of a more exciting thing. So the important thing is we can't give up. Forgetting the things that Jesus commanded us to do and just wait for him to come and get us. Oh, we may believe in the rapture, but you know, let's sit at home, make some coffee, and wait for the rapture. You know, that's... Not what he's calling us to do. Some have decided that Jesus is taking too long. Peter warns us of this. 2 Peter 3.3 says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They're out of touch with reality. They don't believe that Jesus is coming. But he says, I am coming quickly. 
And so the days that we're living in, the majority of the people mock those who believe that Jesus is coming. And there are many, even Christians, who believe that there's no such thing as a rapture, so Jesus isn't coming to take us off the earth. We have to wait for him to come to establish his kingdom, and then we can all move to Israel, and we we can live there under his kingdom. And that's what people believe, and that's okay if that's what they want to believe. That doesn't take away their salvation either, but I think... My joy comes in knowing that at any moment this place can be empty and we can be before the living God. That's an excitement. That's a joy for me to know that we're that close. Because if they're saying these things, oh, he's not coming. Nope, it's been going on. We're very close. Jesus told a church of Philadelphia, they're going to be pillars We can include ourselves in that. Now here's the final closing thought. Do we want to be the Church of Philadelphia or one of the other churches that were called out? The Church of Ephesus that lost their first love. Do we want to be the church that actually has nothing negative said about it and just to persevere? That's the church that I want to be part of, that I want to be. I want to live my life in such a way to be prepared for his coming. And that's the day and age I believe that we're in right now. So let's be ready. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that we can be ready. You've given us everything we need to know to be ready. Help us, Lord, to live in preparation for your imminent return. May we trust you with every facet of our lives, knowing that there's going to be good times and bad, but we know that you're there with us. So help us, Lord, to live in such a way where the world sees us and wants to know where we have our hope. How come we can be at peace while the world is going crazy around us, it isn't found in anything of this world. It's found in you. Thank you, Father. And we pray that every person that hears this message will just trust in you more. Those that are online, that hear this maybe a year from now, maybe the rapture may have happened, and then they hear this message. Lord, I... Pray that they would know that their hope is in you and they can make a decision for Christ at any time. As long as they're alive. So Lord, help us now to live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 